would love to say open up to a particular passage, but it's going to be kind of a little bit different mode of sharing today with you. We're not in Romans. I, I know, that just kind of tilts the whole morning, doesn't it? Um, we will be returning to Romans in a few weeks, and when we do, we'll be moving through some just some great wise application of all this great doctrine that we've been receiving. It's going to move into the realm of here's what you do with it. Here's how you live this thing out. So we walk through some wonderful passages on sanctification coming up in Romans. But in the next few weeks, I just I kind of just, I don't know how to express this. I just want to unload some things from the Lord that are kind of buzzing around in my heart. And so this is just pastoral drooling. I don't know what to call this thing. Uh, there are just some things that God's been putting in my heart for a little while now that I think are needing to be clarified, needing to be in the front of how we're walking and some things God wants to address. And so I'm not really coming out of a particular passage this week, although we will be looking at the word in a moment. I put in your outline kind of the collision of three thoughts that are behind what we're going to share one of them that we'll be clarifying in the next couple of weeks is, is our need for a periodic uh, restoration in the church. And God has this, this thing called the church. And there is, there's so many different people that are here in this particular local church. And we come from so many different backgrounds. You know, I grew up in New Orleans, was raised here, lived my whole life here. Uh, was raised Catholic like 94% of everybody else in the city, I think. And I didn't even know anybody who wasn't Catholic when I was growing up. And when I got saved, I had some ideas about what church was. And they were, they were just, they were incomplete thoughts. They lacked much biblical thoroughness. When, when I came into the kingdom of God, I came in knowing that there was something missing in my life. There was an emptiness. There was a void. I was a teenager. I was trying to kind of find whatever the fast lane was and get in it and enjoy all the things that were available there. But, but as I started to do that, the landscape, and this is, this is the function of God's grace, because everybody else around me loved getting in their car and driving fast. I got in it, drove for a little ways, and just immediately discovered how empty it was. And so the Lord was using that setting to make me aware that there's something else in life that I need. And I wasn't sure what it was, but then I got introduced to a relationship with Christ. So I went from this religious setting where I had heard about God and, and kind of somehow God was part of the landscape. But he wasn't this vital personal issue in my own heart. So that, I, I kind of knew that's missing in me. So I made this pursuit of God thing happen. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing... I need a relationship with Christ. That's what the, the need that I'm experiencing is. And it pops up in this category and in that category and that category of my life. But ultimately, it's a relationship with Christ that I need. So I come into the kingdom uh, embracing Christ as my Savior. And then I kind of learn later on that there's other people who have had a similar experience like me. You know, they've, they've done this thing too. They've prayed that way too. And you know, that sounds like, well, that sounds fine. And it is fine. That's just kind of how we kind of gravitate towards greater levels of truth. But years later, I realized not only were there other people who happened to walk through the same types of circumstances that I did and were also saved, but that there was a, there was a strategic purpose in God gathering them together into this thing called the church. And so many years later, began to really study what is the church. And in doing that, have recognized both biblically and historically, that this group of people that God calls the church has a tendency to drift from its course. You know, God, from the very beginning, gathering a people has a target. He's doing something when he does that. You know, it, it's not like uh, an accidental gathering because ultimately what we're doing is we're individually being saved and then you've got to do something with all these people that individually get saved and just kind of end up in the same pot. You know, it's like, like God's... You know, the sea of humanity that's lost, God just kind of picking them and throwing them over his shoulder. And they happen to be landing in proximity to each other. You know, that's, I think, theologically some people's view of Christianity. You know, by accident, here we all are, saved. How about you too? Well, tell me about your story. And 
And when we look in the Bible, you find out, no. God called the people out in order to fashion them into something. And that group had a target that he was launching them towards. There was a purpose in God for this people that was called out. But the nature of fallen humanity always has us drifting from that purpose and finding, finding another purpose. That's, you know, if we were supposed to be headed east, well, at least we're kind of going northeast now. Or at least we're kind of generally in the same direction, but we're off course a bit. And so there needs to be this periodic re-examination of how are we doing? Are we still on course? And so that's something I think God wants to adjust the next few weeks. But, you know, the two areas is you, you can't... You can't really adjust that area correctly unless you address the individual. Unless you address the fact that the church is just not some giant institution. It's just not a religious gathering. It's individuals who make up the church. And so you and I have to ask some questions about what's up with our personal existence. What are the things that are guiding and fashioning? Why do I even exist? And this is, you know, I've used this illustration, I think in Alpha, I use it a good bit. If you know, I look at my finger here, this finger has a purpose, doesn't it? It's designed a certain way. It's located in a certain place. It functions a certain way. And it's most clearly understood when it is located right there. I have the best shot at understanding what this thing's about. Now, if I take this finger and I detach it from this hand and I set it on my coffee table at home, and you come in and sit down, and it's sitting there on the coffee table. It's just a finger sitting on a coffee table. And you look at that thing. You're, you're in a challenging spot to figure out, hey, what's that finger do? <laughs> I mean, it's a finger it's sitting on a coffee table. If you'd never seen a finger before, you'd really be in sad shape, wouldn't you? I mean, you see this thing sitting on a coffee table. It's got a little, it moves like that, and... Trying to figure out what it was and how it functions would be a real challenge. It's, it's when it is attached. Now, it's still a finger. It's still an individual member of the body, as the Bible calls it. But it's, when it gets attached, all of a sudden it becomes clear as to what it's supposed to be doing. It, it has association with the hand. It does things that serves the body. The body is on a mission. So all of a sudden the finger is part of something much larger. So you and I need to figure out what, what individually is my life really about in light of what the church is supposed to be. And the, you know, the thing that's just kind of ruminating in me right now, we've shared the Chronicle series on prayer, we've taught a couple of things on faith, is just needing to address more fully the issue of prayer and faith. I just feel like those issues won't go away. Like God doesn't want them to go away. He wants you and I to really be chewing on prayer, what it is, how we walk in it, how we grow in it, and faith, and what that is when it's really interacting with us. So the next few weeks are just going to be kind of taking apart these things that are just buzzing around inside of me right now, and, and what we're sensing as a group of leaders that need to be addressed within the church. Today, let me start with how we view our personal existence. And I have a little question in your outline. How are you doing... Getting God's current agenda for your life. How are we doing getting God's current agenda for your life? And and maybe you've not stopped and pondered that God has a specific current agenda for you right now. That that you need to be able to kind of put your finger on the pulse of it. Where are you in this? Agenda issue of God, right? Let me let me get a couple of volunteers here this morning. Let's see who gets to play. Francis, you look like you're awake. Why don't you stand up and stand up with me here? See, I can, see the good thing about sitting in the back right now is I can't see real well. I'll squint, I might can figure out a few folks here. Uh, let's see. I, I don't want to insult anyone, so. I'm going to let Peter play. Why don't you stand up, Peter? You get to, you get to play. Uh, let's see. Taylor, you sat in the front row. You get to play. Uh, let's see. What else do we need here? Let's see. Patricia, you think it's funny? You get to play, too. Stand up. <laughs> All right. So here's, here's just kind of a broad sweep of, of folks here. 
And there's a reality that in every one of these segments of life, there is an agenda of God. There's the, you're walking through a chapter right now in God's purpose for your lives. Now, each of them are different, but each of them are part of something much bigger. So across the spectrum here, you know, we have a youth age person who is walking through the years of, of venturing into the teenage land. And, you know, right now the tempting thing for Taylor would just to be, well, you know, I just, I just want to figure out how to do the friend thing, how to do the, the hanging out thing, uh, you know, learning how to hang on the phone for excessive amount of hours. It's got to be a skill that's got to be practiced. I don't think it comes naturally. But it's something that you go after. There's an agenda item. But, but to think through what's God got for you right now that's going to prepare you for what he has for you here and then here and then here and eventually when you're like this age. Um, that's why I didn't want to insult anybody. He knows he's old and so I'm not breaking news for him all today. Uh, you know, you could be where Francis is. You could be a, a man in the midst of, of, of a career and of opportunities of developing yourself in, in that realm. And there's decisions to make. There's plans to make. You're posturing yourself. Uh, you're trying to further this activity. You can do all that stuff devoid of the reality that there is a purpose of God when he laid hold of your life. Um, you could be a mom who is caring for a family and responsible for children, responsible for coming alongside of her husband, serving in your household. And... You can do all that without a sense of, I've just turned another page in the agenda of God for my life. And, and this page is going to lead to that page, which I don't quite know all that's on that page. But right now, am I discovering what God has for me right now? Uh, for those who are venturing into the senior land. Uh, this, this is, you know, I, I, the best time. <laughs> Grand, grandkids. Oh boy. You know, this is not a speaking part. Okay. This is just a stand here part, okay? Um, I know. You probably should get some kind of Oscar or Academy Award for, for you being able to stand and not speak. That would be a tremendous acting job. Um, there is a temptation here. Let me say this carefully, and let me say it with a little bit of teeth. There is a temptation that when you've gotten past some of the noisier components of life. You've lived through being young, you've lived through careers, you've lived through raising a family, and you've gotten into the senior elements of your life to feel like, well, I don't know what there is to discover about God's agenda for my life. I mean, I've kind of lived my life. Uh, let me just tell you this. If you're not seeing Jesus face to face and you're still on this body, there's still an agenda. There's still another page to turn. There's still another thing that God's wanting to do in your life for the glory of his kingdom upon this earth. If he's done with you in that, you'll know when he's done. You won't be here anymore. So it's like the surefire notice. When you're with him, you'll realize, wow, I don't need to look for another page. I'm done on that page. I'm now before God for all eternity. But if you're here, you're part of advancing the kingdom of God here. Okay, you guys can sit down. You've done a wonderful job. Thanks for playing. Um, now, there's two ways that you can go about greeting life. Many folks in Christianity kind of, kind of get saved, jump on this life escalator, if you will. They're holding still, but life starts moving. Here it comes. Events start happening. You grow up. Friendships, relationships, you move. You have a job. You have a family. Things, things are happening all around you. And somewhere along the line, we started thinking that Christianity is when you, when you bring God into that life and He helps you out with all the little potholes and bumps along the way. And so we learn things about prayer so that as life is coming, we kind of have this hotline thing happening with God. It's almost like we're the commissioner on Batman. You know, life's happening. Gotham City's going to have problems. But when we do... Boy, thanks for some teachings on faith and on prayer so that we know how to pick up the backbone. Call God. God, do you know this is happening? Do you know this is going on in so-and-so's life? Do you realize I'm in a jam? And, and life just kind of happens, and we need God to help us sort through it. Okay, now for some of us, we might be sitting here going, okay, so what's wrong with that? Sounds like Christianity. But it's really not. 
See, because God is wanting there to be a purpose that is birthed in our hearts about why I exist, why personally I exist, you know, personally exist in a larger context. And that needs to forge the path of my life. I'm not just called as a believer to stand here and let life happen. It just happens. Here comes this thing, that thing, and I call on God to help me deal with life as it happens. No, I'm called by God to be steered by the Holy Spirit into particular locations. See, now, let me just show you a couple things. This is where this all stuff is just kind of doing this in my head. So it's all tangled together here. The prayer and faith element. If you're standing still and life is coming to you, that does take a certain type of prayer life and a certain type of faith. It usually takes prayer and faith to be able to deal with what's coming. So you're just kind of this person who's usually calling on God because stuff went bad. This is where I don't feel real good about things. I'm down. I need a fix or something. But see, there's another type of prayer and faith when you start grabbing the steering wheel and steering. When you start getting a sense from God that God has put in my heart over there. That's where I'm supposed to be, over there. Now you start praying and believing differently then in that moment, don't you? Because God's put something in your heart. Now, not only are there obstacles that come in trouble and difficulty that comes, but you have an agenda operating in your heart that says over there. You're supposed to be over there. And so when you start going over there, you make some headway that way. There's encouragement and delight and excitement. But then obstacle comes, problems come. You get blown off course. But you know I'm supposed to be over there. You're praying now and you have faith, but now it needs to accomplish something different, doesn't it? It's not just faith for, Lord, help me just to have a good attitude while things are going rough because life keeps coming at me. No, now it's, God, I need to get there because that's where your kingdom is from my life. My life is to be over there. Your kingdom is to be over there in my life. And I'm going to pray and have faith differently. So when we teach on prayer and teach on faith, see, you can be hearing it in a real variety of ways, huh? Depending on how you're greeting life. Depending on whether life's coming to you or you're going out to get it. And that means a lot of different things for all of us that are here. You know, for me, several years ago, it was God awakening in my heart a sense of being called to be a pastor. And just knowing that that thing was that calling, it's like Jeremiah said, shut up in my bones to where I, I needed to steer my life in that direction. It wasn't just a matter of, well, okay, that happens, it happens. I'll just stand right here. It was, it was a sense of urgency. It became a sense of prayer. It became a sense of disturbing my surroundings. That I can't stay here. I can't stay in this situation where I am because I just feel like God wants me there. And you begin to point your life. Now, you're still dependent upon God pulling off circumstances and arranging things. This doesn't mean you control everything. But there is a sense where God is called. And, and that doesn't just apply if you're called to be a pastor. It, calls, it applies if you're called into the business world. It applies if you're, if you're called to be a mother. It applies when you're a young person. It applies that there's a calling on your life that needs to provide the steering current of where you're going. And in that arena, there needs to be an understanding of you personally, where you live, what you're about, the church, and how prayer and faith operates in that whole mix and setup. Now, if you survey your life, I broke down in your notes, there are two basic components. If you survey, survey your life, you're going to find two components, a natural component and a spiritual component. Now, biblically, those things are real interwoven, but for the sake of discussion, we're going to separate them cleanly and be able to talk about them separately, although you really can't do that very well. Naturally... There's a certain course of life that naturally gets determined for every one of us. When you're conceived, you're conceived as male or female. That has started you down a path already. But then when, when we get born, we're born into a natural environment. That natural environment is a particular location. We have a particular family. We're a particular race. We are in a particular social, economic strata of society. Our culture is a certain place, a certain place on the planet certain time frame of human history, all those things become a natural component in our life, shaping a bit of who we're going to become. And then we start trying to follow some kind of path. And what we notice in our lives, this is true of every one of us, 
from wherever we started, radiating out from that starting place, there are certain well-worn paths in front of us. And, and you'll notice most of us walk the well-worn paths. Most of us live close to where we were born. We have a job that's within the reasonable reach of those around us before us, the type of job they had. We're in the same social economic strata as where we were probably born into or within arm's reach of it. The, the natural elements of our life can become very determining factors in who we are, who we'll hang around, type of people that we're going to spend time pursuing relationships with. See, we're walking a lot of well-worn paths, aren't we? Now, the challenge here is you know, God may not want us walking some of the well-worn paths. He may want us forging a trail in a different direction that's about the heartbeat of God for you as an individual. And, and I need to hear something beyond the natural that's going to get me there. Too much of Christianity is this natural, well-worn path approach to life with a little bit of tweaking. Christians today walk, walk a lot of the well-worn paths, but we add to it church attendance and, and, and reading a little bit more religious material than the, the average Joe does. And, and then our morals are tweaked a bit different than the people who are over here. But other than that... We can find ourselves with the same determining elements in our lives as they have. And it awakens us to the fact that we have a, a real concern and question as to how well are the spiritual dynamics of our lives steering our lives. Because on the scale of our existence, there's the natural and there's the spiritual, and both of them affect us. And so you load up this natural element of who we are, where we've come from, but you know, when you and I were born... We were born into a spiritual context. We are not just physical beings. We're born into a spiritual context. Now, what's going on in that context? And that's what I want to talk about today. In, in that context, there's a, a swirl of hostility and strategic purposes going on in the spirit that you and I were born into that realm. And what's determining how you and I are living our life is where, this, where the scales are tilting for us. Is it the spiritual components of our life that, that the scales are tilted in that direction? That's what's guiding me. That's what steers me on paths. That's what makes me greet life a certain way. That's what leads me in the decisions that I make. Or is it the natural things that I just kind of incorporated a little bit of spirituality into them? If you think for a moment, this morning, this morning, people in Iraq awoke and greeted the day. How many of you think that they awoke and greeted the day with a different mindset than what you and I had when we awaken each day? You know, I awaken here wondering, am I going to catch traffic on the way in this morning? Oh, man, I better get going or better go a different way. How many of you all can imagine that people living in Iraq, their big concern is not about the traffic? are thinking more about whether I'm going to be blown up today. Whether someone that I love is going to die today. What's, what's going to happen as a result of this war that's going on around us? U.S. soldiers that are in Iraq, they did not awake the same way you and I did today, did they? Their mindset, how they were living, the environment that they were aware of, formed and fashioned in them a totally different mindset than what you and I had when we woke up today. And you can get a little bit in touch with that. If you've got somebody, and maybe there's some folks here, you've got family members, someone that you're close to who is, who is in the armed forces in Iraq, and you hear these news reports and you see what's going on, and you awaken a little differently than normal. Your concern for them, your, the weight that, and prayer and wanting to know what's going on and how are they doing, it, it, it operates in you a little differently than just, well, you know, let me just catch the newspaper, let me go off and go shop this morning. It's a different mindset that greets life. So this scale of how do we see our environment, we see the spiritual and natural components, is determining how you and I are living every day, how we're interacting with our surroundings. But that has to do with going back to my first concern about the church, your church involvement and definition 
for what the church really is are associated with how these truths sit in the scales of our reasonings. How you and I view what we're doing here this morning. How important is it that we're here today? That you're even a part of a church? Is that an important thing? Well, it really just depends on how you see your environment and the world that you live in. Here's my question. Is the church a cruise ship or a battleship? Do you see the church, and maybe do you see is not the best way to get at it. Do you approach the church as a cruise ship or a battleship? I'm going to go through a few little thoughts on, on that paradigm over the next few weeks. But I think you can probably imagine that a cruise ship mentality is a bit different than a battleship mentality. If you are on a cruise ship, you're a passenger. If you're on a battleship, you're a crew member. That in and of itself is very defining, isn't it? If you're on a cruise ship, that ship has an agenda. It's about pleasure. It's going to sail around to show you things that are enticing, enjoyable, fun. It might just go around in circles and come back. If you're on a battleship, you're on a mission. And there is an agenda. And there's something to be accomplished. And there's danger. And people could get hurt. A great cause could be won. Right? You know, no one, when you come back from a cruise, you know, I've never been on a cruise because I don't feel like throwing up while I'm on vacation. But when you come back from a cruise and people are walking off the gangplank, you know, they don't look like uh, the New England Patriots when they got off the airplane from the Super Bowl. You know, they, they had fun. You know, they're moving a little slower. They probably put on some weight. And they're, ah, oh, they took pictures. But they don't come back like, we're the champions. Yeah, that's right. We came back from the cruise mission. That's right. Bermuda's ours now, baby. That's right. Belongs to the U.S. Uh, you know, you, they don't come back with a sense of victory because there was no mission. <laughs> it was just cruise, eat, look, laugh, come home. You know, that's it. When you get on a battleship, you come back and you either talk about we did or we did not accomplish our goal. We succeeded or we failed. There were casualties. There were successes. These folks were rescued. See, there's a mission on a battleship. And there's a lot of dynamics that go into defining what I'm trying to communicate in some of these thoughts. But it suffices for us just to have in our mind... How do we approach the church? And it has a lot to do with how we approach our personal lives and our personal existence. Our existence is within a context. And within that context, would it be more appropriate for us to be on a cruise ship or on a battleship? So let's examine our context for a moment. Turn to Revelation chapter 12 with me this morning. Revelation chapter 12. And as I'm last week or so, started chewing on these thoughts and, and having a sense of, of the need to communicate them. This whole context of war uh, began to become more real to me. And I remembered that several years ago I had listened to a message by John Piper. And I couldn't remember the title of it. I could just remember just a couple of things that he said in it. I remember, actually, I think the, the guys, we were all, the staff was all driving up to the prayer retreat is when we actually listened to this tape together. And I just remember some of what he said and, and what jumped out at me that he used this phrase, a wartime mentality, and used it over and over again. And it stuck with me so I could remember because it, it was years ago that we had heard this. But as I went back and pulled up a transcript from that message, there were some thoughts here that were, I think, very timely for us as well, in the, specifically in the realm of prayer. Listen to this thought. In order to mobilize a movement of prayer in the church and in order to sustain a will to pray in our hearts, we must think and talk about other things besides prayer. This is the key lesson I have learned in recent years. We must talk first about war. Because life is war. And it is utterly impossible for people to know what prayer really is until they know that they are in a war. 
And so I want us to realize and get from God today a sense of the war that you and I exist in around us. Look in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation And the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Skip down verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now in this passage, and I'm not going to take it apart very much, just enough for us to glean a little bit of insight here about war. We see major players here. We see a woman giving birth, and then we see her offspring later on. And the woman giving birth described here would be the people of God, God's ecclesia, God's called out ones. In the Old Testament, it would be the nation of Israel. There's the 12 stars that are mentioned here and some other symbols. But here would be God's messianic nation. That's going to birth the the Messiah, going to bring into the earth the Messiah. And so there's a war made. Now, now who is being attacked in this war from the very outset? You notice the devil, I mean, this would just be wise on his part, I imagine. The devil, he doesn't go after God. You You don't find here in the Bible that the devil's picking a fight with God. But you do find him picking a fight with the people of God. He directs his attention there. He is trying to thwart the purpose of God through the people of God. Now listen, that just makes sense because that's where the weakness is. You don't find any weakness in a perfect God. You find weakness in God's people. So here he has this called out group through whom the Messiah is going to come. So he's against them. And the Messiah comes and he serves upon the earth. He's pulled away into heaven. And then those who are who give birth, those who the church, the, the growth of the church, the continuation of the church, he comes to make war against them. So now, this is, this is what the book of Revelation, this is what all the scriptures let us in on. That you and I live in a war environment. We, we live in a spiritual Iraq. Much worse than what could be physically depicted in the natural realm. And we're educated from the Word. That is where you and I exist. And when you and I are born, whether it's born physically, whether we come into the, into the world, or when we're born spiritually, in both of those settings, but go back to when you were first born. 
you physically came into this world, the world didn't just get started, did it, when you got born? It was around and something was going on already. And so if, you're, if your life was a TV program, what, what you would have heard the announcer saying is when, you're, when your little thing went, and then you kind of, there you were, kicking in the manger or whatever, making that sound. Uh, when you were doing that, the little announcer across the bottom of the screen was saying, we now join the program already in progress. Before you were here, there was a program happening already in progress. And we get led into it by scriptures in various places where we see there is this great war. And when you read the book of Revelation, we find out how the war ends. We find this opponent of God that's going to be thrown into a lake of fire in the very end, and he's going to be done with. But it's interesting that there's this drama, this heavenly drama, that is of a spiritual nature, and it's influencing everything about our existence as people on the earth. And we see why in this passage. The enemy has set himself to oppose the people of God. Now, like Mark Wilson's thought from Revelation, he says, Revelation portrays the reality of spiritual warfare in the Christian life. The dragon has proclaimed a declaration of war against all of God's children. So we are now combatants in that struggle, willing or not. See, it doesn't, in one sense, it doesn't matter whether you and I have a wartime mentality or not, because it doesn't change the reality that there is a war. It only changes the way you and I will live in the midst of that war. What we will live for, what we will ascribe value to, how we will be careful, how we will be wise. But it doesn't change the fact that there is a war, and you and I are on the hated end of an opponent who is in this war. Now, Spiritual reality gives way to biblical wisdom in how we walk out our lives. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Armed with the revelation that there is this spiritual war taking place. There are principalities. There are spiritual forces. There are, there are uh, demonic beings that functioned as angelic beings, but now function in agreement with Satan and what he wants to do to oppose God's purpose. Paul, aware of that, speaks of these concepts in several places. Here in Ephesians 6, it's a very well-known warfare passage. Verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the, in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And then verse 18 begins to talk about prayer. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So here's what Paul does when he gets armed with the information that we live in a war. He gives information about how to live in that war, how, how to direct our lives. And he draws prayer into that arena. So then this is where I have to agree with John Piper. If you don't teach on war, what do you use prayer for? You end up misusing it and using it for a much lesser valuable commodity in our lives. And when I throw the concepts of prayer and faith out there, Without a context, they, they really can't take on very full meaning. It's kind of like throwing out the word medicine. Here, medicine. Okay, medicine for what? A little dull headache I've got today? Or medicine for a plague sweeping through half the earth? What are we talking medicine here? See, I need some context for these words. You know, prayer and faith... Why? Because my, my life's a little hard? 
or because there's a destination for me to arrive at and there's an opposition for me to get there and, and I'm going to need to pray and have faith in order to ever arrive at that point. Pray. Paul, pray. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times. With this in view, be on the alert. See, this passage sounds better read to somebody who is, is walking up the gangplank to get on a battleship. And over their back is, is strategic knapsack full of vital equipment and on the way on to the ship they're greeted not by somebody you know with one of those flower things welcome aboard you know and they come on and hi hi you know that's one view you know welcome to the church hi welcome nice to have you but you know this is another view this is not a popular view right be strong in the lord in the strength of his might put on the full armor of god and you, you get on a cruise ship, you hear somebody talking to you that way, you think you know, they're flipped out. But you get on a battleship, and that sounds like something you'd hear on a battle. Be alert at all times. Be dressed and be ready for battle. You are going to take some shots. And that instruction now makes sense. See, see Paul, like all uh, apostolic, prophetic, pastoral ministry, this is another message. I need to resist some of these thoughts. The leadership team in a church, they're not cruise directors. And I say that because within the church world today, there are certain expectations about what the ship should be like and what kind of a trip we're having and what's been provided. And it's almost as though, hey, we're passengers. There's the crew staff. Let's, let's get it done. See, when, you, when you're on a battleship, you don't have that mentality. Because there aren't passengers on a battleship. There are crewmen on a battleship. And you approach these situations differently. And what Paul is communicating through this word, what the Bible communicates as a revelation to us, is that in the, in the scale of our individual experience... There is this spiritual component that needs to form and fashion. What am I doing with my life? Where am I headed? What's valuable? How do I spend my money, my time, everything about who I am? It needs to get formed out of the spiritual side of this equation. You look throughout the Bible and look at this, this balance of natural and spiritual components. Look at Job's life. If you look at Job's life from a purely natural standpoint, what do you see? A dude having a really bad day. Right? I mean, a storm has come. A big wind blows down his family's house. Raiders, uh, you know, pirate-type guys from Chaldea come. They steal all kinds of stuff. And his health goes bad. Man, what a bad day. Man, how many things can go wrong in one guy's life? Just, just natural lens in this thing. But when we, when we look in the Bible, we find out there's a spiritual component to this thing, wasn't there? That Satan was involved all along in all that took place in his life. Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter, in the natural, hits a real speed bump in his walk with Christ. He... He denies he even knows the Lord. Now, in the natural, fear of man is operating in his life. Um, fear of death is operating in his life. But in the spirit, we already know, Jesus has already told him, Satan has demanded permission to sift you as wheat. So we know that the, spiritually, this is all part of the war. It all makes sense. The Apostle Paul Advancing the kingdom of God, being used to deliver doctrine and form churches and, and push the kingdom into all the world. And he gets to a point where he talks about his weakness in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about this thorn in the flesh. And everybody's trying to guess at what that thing is. Was it physical infirmity? Was it something about how Paul felt about himself? Whatever it was, there was a natural component to it. But Paul said this thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan. That was producing an effect upon his life. You look in, you know, not just the highlight film. What about just this average woman? Luke chapter 13. You find an 
average woman that the Bible describes her as being hunched over. She's been hunched over for 18 years in her life. Now, I'm pretty sure that there was a natural explanation as to why this woman's hunched over. Could have been some accident that occurred. She was injured and she's been hunched over ever since. Um, maybe it's just osteoporosis set in. But when Jesus looked at her life, he identified a disabling spirit and specifically assigned this to the work of Satan himself for 18 years. So in the scale of our, our experience, there is a spiritual component. There is this war taking place all around us, and it's affecting our lives. And you and I have got to look through the lens of what the Word says about, why, why do I exist? What's my personal life about? In that context, not just in the individual context, well, I was, was born in New Orleans, uh, I'm, I'm white, I'm a guy, I was born in this social strata, um, I, you know, I've always had an interest in this. You know, how many of us are just walking well-worn paths? Oh, well, I've just always, that's just always been me, you know, I've always wanted to do. Well, that's not necessarily wrong, but if you're just defaulting to that, it's just a natural mindset. But, but you and I were, were born into a program that was already in progress. There is a war going on. And you and I are born in that context. And we, and we are part of it. And when we get saved, we become the objects of it. But we also become the advancers of the kingdom of God. And that's where, that's where context becomes important here. As Paul goes on, and I'm going to go through all these verses here with you. I put some in your outline. You can see where Paul talks about weaponry and, and how we're living our lives, etc., but this is where the individual life is fitting into a larger picture. Let me, let me start from way out here. Here we start with this picture, the church. God starts way off. Let's give satellite imagery here. We're backing away real far. There's this thing called the church. And as we watch this thing defined as the church, it's advancing the kingdom of God. There's, there's warfare. There's bullets flying. There's bombs going off. There's spiritual opposition. But within that... Because remember, all the way back when God chose the nation of Israel, the enemy wanted to destroy that nation in order to keep the Messiah from ever coming. And then he wants to destroy the testimony of that Messiah having come in the people of God. But what we do as the people of God, we are advancing the kingdom of God. And we're facing things that try to hem it in and control it. But here it is, moving along. And you, you take one of those... And kind of they do this on the, the weather things these days, right? You know, they start way out here and they kind of pan in. Next thing you know, they're in your backyard with their little satellite thing. You know, look, there's you barbecuing. Um, let's pan in a little bit. You go from the kingdom of God, the people of God, and you pan in. All of a sudden, you start seeing individual churches, local churches, all make up this kingdom of God. And you pan in a little bit closer. You pan into a church called Lakeview Christian Center and you find small groups, covenant groups within that. And there's little groups of people. And you pan in a little bit closer and there you are. You're an individual finger in this big scheme of what God's doing. And see, now, if you can see your life that way, and I ask this question, how well are you doing in discerning the current agenda of God for your life? That answer matters now, doesn't it? Because if you don't just let the... Well, the kingdom of God is just kind of that thing that will just go on without us. It just, you know, it's just going to take care of itself somehow. No, no, no. The kingdom of God is individual people. Part of a bigger group, a bigger group, a bigger group. And so if everybody's fingers who don't know their fingers, members who don't know how to be members, if everybody's that, then the kingdom is in really bad shape. And that's where the whole church needs to get back on track. If somehow we're over here, it needs to get pulled back. But it gets pulled back by individuals getting it right. And me considering, I'm a part of a much bigger picture. And how I see life, that matters. It matters a great deal. In the realm of prayer and faith, we need to have prayer and faith sufficient for war, not peacetime. We teach on prayer and we teach on faith. We're not just teaching on, here's how to deal with life when it comes to you. Biblically, we're teaching on, here's how to deal with life in order to go out and advance the kingdom of God. And everybody's a part of that. Everybody is called to a battleship. 
There's nobody in the kingdom called to a cruise ship. Nobody. And we are, we are missing God's purpose if that's what we've turned these words into. Matt, go ahead and, and come up. Let me close with this quote from John Piper from that message, the prayer, the work of missions. And this is insightful as usual. He says, in other words, life is war. But most people do not believe this in their heart. Most people, shown by their priorities and their casual approach to spiritual things that they believe, we are in peacetime, not wartime. In wartime, the newspapers carry headlines about how the troops are doing. In wartime, families talk about the sons and daughters on the front lines and write to them and pray for them with heart-wrenching concern for their safety. In wartime, we are on the alert. We are armed. We are vigilant. In wartime, we spend money differently. There is austerity, not for its own sake, but because there are more strategic ways to spend money than, in, than on new tires at home. The war effort touches everybody. We all cut back. The luxury liner becomes the troop carrier. Very few people think that we are now in a war greater than World War II and greater than any imaginable nuclear World War III. Or that Satan is a much worse enemy than communism or militant Islam. Or that the conflict is not restricted to any one global theater, but is in every town and city in the world. You might want to add every family and every household. Or that the casualties do not merely lose an arm or an eye or an earthly life, but lose everything, even their own soul, and enter a hell of everlasting torment. Until people believe this, they will not pray as they ought. They will not even know what prayer is. So I do not tire of saying to our church, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It is as though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops, gave them a crucial mission, go and bear fruit handed each of them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, Comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished. And to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter to give tactical advice and to send in air cover when you or your comrades need it. But what have millions of Christians done? They've stopped believing that we are in a war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning. Just easy peacetime and prosperity. And what did they do with the walkie-talkie? They tried to rig it up as an intercom in their cushy houses and cabins and boats and cars, not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maid to bring another pillow to the den. Let's stand up together. Lord, as we look and consider these words, your word, Lord, I know, I, I know because I have experienced myself I can I can say words, I can speak words, and we can read words, but Lord, only you can give revelation. Lord, these, these are words. Lest you reveal them to us today. Lest you awaken in us a soberness about the war in which we exist. About how you've called us 
in that setting, about how we are to function, about why we exist personally and what we are part of that's larger than ourselves. About whether we are aware of your current agenda for our lives in the light of this war. Lord, right now, we need revelation. We need your Spirit to reveal these things to us. And so we call on you, Holy Spirit, right now. Bring us your insight. Convince our hearts. Let me ask everyone to sit down. Go ahead, sit down. I'm going to do something like this in the first service. It seems a little hokey. Most of us have outgrown playing soldiers. You know, when you're a kid, playing soldiers is where it was at. Most of us aren't playing soldiers anymore. There's a place, there's a scripture that I didn't get to in 2 Timothy. It says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, that he may please the one who enlisted him. How many of us, when we, when we were saved, saw our response to Christ as enlistment? I didn't. I knew that my life had need in it. It was missing something. And I heard that God was what it was missing. So I stepped forward and said, God, I want you. I need you. you know, no angel rushed down with, you know, wearing an army uniform. And said, would you like to sign up and enlist, son? Put your life on the line. Perhaps lose it. Those were things that I grew to understand as I read more and studied more of the Word. So it's quite possible that, that we are here this morning saved because we had a need, but unaware that when God saved us, it was not this casual, I'll save you, I'll save you, I'll save you, I'll save you, as though His back is now turned to that purpose that He had for us. He's pulled us out of the world, forgave us of our sins, and we're going to heaven now. What God did when he saved us is that he, like putting together a puzzle piece, he inserted us strategically as members of a body. Some are fingers, some are toes. He, he, he assembled this battleship called Lakeview Christian Center. And then he called a crew to it. And he said, everybody needs to function because I'm sending this ship on a mission. That's part of a much bigger war. Maybe you and I weren't aware that's what God had in mind. But I think we can see biblically that's exactly what God had in mind. And no soldier is to entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life. That he may please the one who enlisted him. So what I want to ask us to do this morning is I want to ask you to enlist. Maybe your only understanding of salvation is I need to be forgiven of my sins. You have opened a door to a God who, who has called you to be a part of a purpose to glorify Him and to bring His glory to the earth. But there's a war over whether that will ever occur or not. And you and I are part of it. So today, this is kind of the hokey part, God's looking for a few good men <laughs> and women will say, I recognize that I'm, I'm not signing up for a cruise ship. I'm signing up for a battleship. I could lose my life. There could be problems if I launch out on a mission. If I step out in faith, there could be casualties. I could be embarrassed. I could be hurt. People could disappoint me. I could, I could get on board this ship People could let me down. Yeah. 
but in light of a much bigger cause. Isn't it all worth it? So what I'd like for you to do, and let me just say this, what I'd like for you not to do in a moment is to stand up in response to what I'm saying when you're really not sure you want to stand. The very best thing you could do, and I will respect you more for sitting in this setting than I will for standing, is for you to be serious enough with what I just said to be able to say, you know what? I don't know that I'm ready to live my life on a battleship. And I'm just kind of believing that the cruise ship's going to the same destination. It's a much nicer trip. And that's where you are. If that is where you are, then you need to take what we've talked about this morning and you need to get serious with God about examining who is going to own your life. Because if God's going to own it, He's calling you to serve Him. He's calling you to further His kingdom. He's calling you to lay your life down, become a crew member on a battleship. Now, if that's what's in your heart in relating to the purpose of God in this earth, then I would like for you to enlist this morning. And maybe you've already enlisted. Maybe you're here this morning and we can't see it, but you've got your uniform on. Because every day you get up, you put on your uniform, and you go out in war. But maybe you don't. And this morning would be the beginning of you doing that. So if you're here this morning... I'd like to enlist. I'd like for you to stand up right where you are. Let's pray. Father, standing is our declaration of recognizing what you're about. Lord, we know because you have promised and we expect that in eternity we are going to be on a cruise ship unmatched. There will be no battles. There will be no bloodshed. There will be no tears. There will be feasting and parties. But Lord, that is not this day. This day is a war until you take that enemy and throw him into a lake of fire where he will no more again affect your people. We are at war. And Lord, the same way that our heart sinks when we watch the news at night and realize another dozen, another 20 or 30 people died in the soil of Iraq. Lord, may the news of that war, every time we hear it, may it provoke us to remember there is a bigger war right here in Metairie. There are more casualties in that war than will ever be in Iraq. And there are spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places that we are standing against them. And Lord, in very real ways, there are battles being fought by moms in their households, by men at work, by single people living for the glory of God, by teenagers choosing purity and a zest and zeal for God above all others. Lord, the war is being fought in those moments. There's a mission being launched this week into enemy territory through Alpha. We are the crew on that ship, every one of us. Lord, may we take up our place. May we see your purpose get accomplished through what you wanted this church to be, through what you wanted us individually to be in this church, in the kingdom, in this hour, for your glory to fill the earth, Lord. Because that's what we want, your glory to fill the earth.